Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland. And I'm Sandra Smith. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. In this episode, we explore type six. Instead of resisting the phenomenon of uncertainty in the world, um, to begin to accept uncertainty. I think that my experience of anxiety and fear in my life is directly related to my resisting uncertainty. to welcome Murray Holden as our guest as we are live, not quite live, in New Orleans. What we want to do is invite our listeners to approach this time together as we listen with all three brains for a greater capacity to just take in this information, be present to what we're hearing. So I invite you to a, a place of grounded body, of open heart, and of curious mind. And we invite the inner type six in each of us because we all have it. Uh, to listen in. So if you will, take a deep breath with me. And so we offer this overview of type six. Some of the key words and themes of six would be predictability, uh, safety, being prepared. Fear is the vice of this type, and it's a fear of being alone in a world they believe to be dangerous. So six has become loyal to others, thinking that there's safety in the herd. These folks are logical thinkers who consider multiple options before acting or deciding. They're highly observant. They're hard to surprise, these sixes. They are warm, trustworthy, and they ask such good questions. Again, these are folks who are prepared, kind of like the scouts of the Enneagram. So if if you're going camping, take a six with you. They'll have what you need. Absolutely. Sixes focus their attention on potential dangers or emotional loss. We call that worst-case thinking. They are the troubleshooters of the Enneagram. Worst-case thinking drives energy into a hypervigilant scanning as their imagination works overtime to anticipate troubling possibilities that lie ahead. So this mental framework creates a future negative approach which serves to amplify fear and anxiety in the present. So feelings of helplessness may be a constant companion for sixes, especially when they keep their sights on the external world and lose awareness of the wells of resources within themselves. This may be the personality style that trust themselves the least. So they look for power and authority outside themselves, whether in research or books or people. So today we are delighted to be with Marae Holden, as Chris said, here in the fine city of New Orleans. I would like to introduce you to Marae, who is a practicing attorney in New Orleans and who's worked with the Enneagram for the past six years. She is an ontological awareness teacher and facilitates workshops in this arena. So Marae, welcome. Hi, thank you, glad to be here. We're glad you're here. So, Marie, I want to begin by um, reading this quote from Tacitus, Roman philosopher, and invite you just to listen and see what gets gets stirred in you or what comes up for you. The desire for safety stands against every great and noble enterprise. 
If uncertainty is unacceptable to you, it turns into fear. If it is perfectly acceptable to you, it turns into complete aliveness, alertness, and creativity. Anything in there that draws you, that you uh, feel resonant with? You know, it's funny. I think that for um, for much of my life, I have repeatedly um, said to people or to myself that the phenomenon of uncertainty, the fact that life is uncertain, um, is just so unfair. Life just <laughs> life just shouldn't just shouldn't be that way. Um, it seems crazy to me that we can't just just know. Um, and there are times in my life where I've felt very paralyzed by by uncertainty and have thought, you know, if I just had a crystal ball, if you could just tell me whether this thing I'm working on is going to work out or whether my life is going to take this road or that road, I don't care. Just tell me. And then I can show up. Then I can live my life. Then I'll have enough certainty, enough sort of fundamental um, safety to make decisions and stop preparing and be present in the moment. Um, and yet it turns out life don't work that way. Mm. So <laughs> um, it has been um, such a journey to me to sort of, instead of resisting the phenomenon of uncertainty in the world, um, to begin to accept uncertainty. I think that my experience of anxiety and fear in my life is directly related to my resisting uncertainty. The world is uncertain um, and unpredictable and that's bad and I don't like it, and I, I want to control it and make my world as predictable as as possible. And doing that creates this tremendous mood of anxiety for me. Um, and the older I get, the more I practice and, um, and do work in the Enneagram and in other disciplines, I see um, that the world is uncertain. That's a what's so I can't know. And isn't it wonderful? Look at all of the tremendous possibilities. What if it's not just worst case possibilities? What if there are all these other wonderful things that could happen? And if I were willing to let go a little bit, they might actually be able to happen. Wow. <laughs> if I didn't yeah. have such a chokehold, you know, on, on my life. So yeah. And you you speak to this need for sixes, not only the certainty, but oftentimes sixes will substitute certainty for trust. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what we're hearing is that you're you're dissolving some of that and that trust is more in the foreground these days. It, it's funny. This is very pertinent to my life right now. Um, I have begun a new relationship and have not dated in any serious capacity for many years. Um, and the uncertainty of those sorts of beginning stages of, of relationships are particularly torturous to me. I mean, it's just awful. <laughs> People say, oh, dating's fun, and isn't it fun? I'm thinking, you are out of your mind. <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> um, because you don't know what's going to happen. And my my mind um, just races, and I have these vivid, um, I call it future tripping, this, this vivid imagining into the future in my brain of what it will look like, whether that's the worst-case scenario or sometimes even good things that, mm. that could happen. But I see it in my head in such a vivid way. I have this vivid picture and imagination and vivid dreams, and I can see exactly what it would look like, and it feels real to me. Mm-hmm. And as I'm sort of future tripping, I'm thinking, you know, I, I'll go on one date and think, okay, here's all the good things that could happen. Here's all the bad things that could happen, and, and it's so uncertain. And I think I have avoided 
um, new relationships for a lot of my life because I don't want to be in that place of uncertainty and thinking, well, am I going to extend trust to this person or or not? Sure. And there are times when I've certainly substituted certainty for trust because I'll say, you know, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if it's going to work out with this person or not. But if I just left, if I broke up with them or mm-hmm. something, then it would be certain. Right. So I'll create an outcome that I don't want in the interest of knowing. Of having certainty. In the interest of having certainty. Wow. Wow. Um, so I'm interrupting that in my life. Mm. So that's, Congratulations. That's thank you. It that's is quite anxiety producing. <laughs> 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 um, but it's also wonderful. And I... and. I, I've noticed that about about myself that there are so many times when I have traded um, what I really want for the certainty of knowing either way. Wow. What is the this future tripping that you describe? Um, how, uh, how does it serve you? In other words, what what is and what it, w- your default goes there, right? What is the, how does what's what's the service of that? What does that allow you or help you or you know? And, and the opposite question is a good one too, right? How does it not serve you? But let's start there. The, the future tripping, it serves me in a bunch of ways. One is that it's just juicy. Mm. It's fun. Even, um, even when it's scary, even when it's unpleasant, um, there is something um, that feels really natural to me about it. My mind just goes, and it can be really difficult to stop it. And even when I know... I'll say to myself, Murray, you're not being you're not being present. Mm-hmm. None of that is real. You know, come back to this moment, but I don't want to. There's something that's so um, sort of comforting about thinking into the future in that way. Like if I think about it and I worry about it, that somehow I'll prepare, be prepared for it. Right. That somehow I'll mitigate the loss or the danger or or whatever and of course it doesn't work that way right Right. you you prepare for the hurricane and then the tornado hits so it life doesn't work that way um but i find so often that i'm trying to prepare i'm scanning the environment for what could be dangerous and what could create some kind of emotional loss for me Mm. and i'm figuring out ways to sort of mitigate that and i'm i'll find myself preparing for conversations that i may never have to have Mm -hmm. practicing conversations um, that are difficult and and things like that and wanting to prepare and it serves me it comes in very handy when I need to plan for vacation sure, or sure or um, it makes me a great lawyer because I can troubleshoot and I can see um, problems before they begin Absolutely. I, I can see what the arguments on the other side are going to be what the holes in in all the different arguments are I can problem solve and sort of strategize and I have that tremendously analytical mind. You're naming the gifts of the of the patterns of the six. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and at the same time, there's this tremendous cost. I would say, you know, our greatest our greatest strengths are so often our greatest weaknesses, and I think that my analytical mind is so helpful, and yet at the same time it's I'll call it eating my lunch, you know. It mm. it is taking all of these all of these things from me and I think the great irony is that you you can't prepare for for life in that in that way. So, I've always got a band aid if you need a band aid. You know, I've I've got. You want to take me camping for sure? I will have everything <laughs> yeah. on earth that you need. Right. Um, and also the planning um, and the future tripping gets in my way because it has me be anxious and struggle to be present in the moment. Um, and to differentiate between what's real, what's really happening now, and my concerns about what could happen, my imagination is so vivid that those things are often equally real for me. Wow. 
And so it it's difficult for me to to acknowledge, no, that's that's not happening. That there's actually no problem in the present moment. Mm-hmm. We're good. And I'm, uh, as I watch you describe this, Murray, it's like, boy, that's a lot of energy, a lot of mental energy that you're expending on the what-ifs. Yes. Yeah. And so we know that head type sixes uh, can be hyper-perceptive. And you have this scan, and you're, you're moving ahead of, of the rest of us. And I'm wondering, how do you get to the heart of you? Mm. As a head type, the, the hyper-perceptivity can almost replace emotional life. Yes. Can you speak to that? Yes. Um, I find myself overthinking often, overanalyzing, um, and often ignoring my my emotions and my body and having trouble um, getting in touch with those things. Um, for instance, I'll, I'll notice months you know afterward that I've been in pain or that something on my body has been hurting Mm -hmm. and I you know I'm just thinking right right through it I'm on to the next thing and preparing for the next catastrophe and and you know doing all the stuff on the list and not really paying attention to my own emotional state or or to my body and so a practice that I've that I've begun and that I that I work with is taking time to to be still and be mm. quiet and figure out how, um, of course I say figure out, there's nothing to figure <laughs> out, but it's so, it's so automatic for me, right? Even, even when we talk about me feeling things, you know, in my, in my heart or my body, it sounds like brain activity. <laughs> I think what I feel is, right? right? Exactly. Well, I, what I figured out is that I'm sad, you know, just is amazing. Um, so working, working on um, how I feel and often it will be surprising to me when I'm able to mm. be still enough to sort of identify my own mm. emotional state. It will surprise me, um, and so I've I've begun doing some things to get um, more in touch with my body. Um, I've been walking more, and I've been doing some dancing, taking dance classes, right. and stuff that sort of gets me um, in my body because it's very clear that I'm not going to be able to think my way out of that you know yes um and when I am more in touch with my with my heart center it is and my body center it becomes clear to me how deep that underlying level of anxiety um is Mm. that I have that often I don't feel uh I don't experience myself or my life as being overtly um full of anxiety or fear or something like that I don't even really know that I'm afraid mm. until I stop and and get more in touch with my heart center and then I realize that I am anxious um, in a way that I not not always and of course it, it improves as I do my own my work sure. um, but anxiety is is such sort of a base level thing mm. for me and in in my head what I often do is I, I ignore that or I don't even see it or acknowledge it and instead I'm just on to the next thing and I manage my anxiety through hyper activity mm. and accomplishing things and doing the next thing on the list 
And of course, it doesn't work because the list is endless. There's mm-hmm. no amount of preparation that could mitigate all risk and make me completely safe and make life right. certain, which right. is a real bummer. Well, and I heard you say that like you have this, this there's base level of anxiety. And then when you try to get certainty, right, to mitigate risk, that actually ups the anxiety. Yes. So in a way that <laughs> yes. seeking certainty and sort of like is actually creating more of yes. that anxious. The great irony is that it makes it worse. Yeah. It, it, yeah. mm-hmm. it absolutely makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and staying busy is a way that sixes hold anxiety at bay. So thank you for naming that mm-hmm. for us in the audience. As we speak of fear and anxiety, I'm wondering if you could uh, name the two postures we know sixes have, phobic and counterphobic. Um, can you speak to that in yourself, knowing that each six has both postures? But how does that work? Well, I... I experience myself um, as mostly counterphobic in most areas of my life, um, but phobic in some, and sometimes. Um, I, I identify so much with this sort of counterphobic idea that fear um, is something to be systematically eliminated and conquered, mm-hmm. that... Um, I don't know what type Eleanor Roosevelt was, but she is um, is supposed to have said that you know that you should do one thing every day that that scares you. And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, how else are you going to get anything done, right? As someone who experiences a lot of fear and anxiety, yes. um, I'm real good at managing it, and I have a tremendously high tolerance for mm. for anxiety, and can sort of act through it and sort of see fear as. When something is scary, I sort of move towards it. And I think, oh, well, I was a little bit afraid of public speaking, so I started teaching workshops, mm. you know, and right. um, and things like that. So sort of jumping headlong into stuff that, that is scary to me. Um, and it, it makes me, one gift is that it makes me able to sort of inspire that in other people where people will say, well, I'm afraid. And um, I say, well, so? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. I right. mean, if I didn't do anything because I was afraid, I'd do nothing. Right. So we we just sort of get to get to move through it. And in times of tremendous anxiety, um, you know, if something terrible has happened and you know a whole group is is sort of in anxiety and, and paralyzed, I find it easy for me to be really good in a crisis. I'll be afraid and wanting to prepare, but then when the you know when the storm hits, I have a laser focus and I'm entirely unafraid and can sort of move through it. And, and everyone else says, well, we're afraid. And I say, well, no, it's just Tuesday. I mean, this right. is what I, <laughs> this is how it feels to be alive. So, I mean, that's one of the powerful gifts, it seems to me, of the six is that in the moment when crisis comes, right, there's no time to prepare. There's no time to think, imagine, whatever, right? No future tripping. But just in the moment, you are, as you said, laser focused and can respond and move forward and get done what needs to get done. Yes. And, and I what's really interesting is for all of the preparing that I do, I've had an experience of myself many times in my life that I, I know that when the, when the thing happens, when the crisis hits, I can trust myself completely to handle what, what comes up. Even if that doesn't mean that I get the results I want, something terrible might happen, but like I'm a show up. I'll, I will mm-hmm. be there and handle what needs to get handled. Um, that's a trust in self right there. That is yeah. beautiful. I know mm-hmm. that strikes me. And what I wonder is, what would it be like to trust yourself every day the way you trust yourself in those moments? Yeah. Yeah, it would be incredible. And it's something, you know, as I um, 
move forward in this work is something that has become more a part of my life, sort of daily um, trust in myself. But there, I think that's my life's work. You yeah. know, it's not, yes, I don't, you sure. don't get there so much as, <laughs> as right. It's something that you get to, it sort of companions you through, through the rest of your journey. Right. Sometimes I feel um, phobic, and I, I guess by that I mean that I am aware that I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but often I experience myself as really counterphobic. I don't even know mm. that I'm that I'm scared. And I, um, it, <laughs> my mother will tell you stories about me as a little kid. You know that I just have this tendency to sort of puff up and be um, try to be to appear strong mm. and um, and. Um, sort of intimidating, although I don't think I mean to intimidate people, but I've gotten that feedback a lot in my life um, from folks. And I think part of it is that I, um, as a counterphobic six, I have this desire to be detached, to create distance, you know, this sort Mm -hmm. of safety zone between me and, and other people. And I feel it come on me. It's sort of like a force field. And so I understand why people would feel, um, separated from me or something like that and I have this desire to appear detached and aloof and um and just sort of observe from a distance and and that kind of stuff so my my counter phobia kind of shows Mm -hmm. up in that way too Mm -hmm. so distancing feels safer and uh, the energy for five, sixes, and sevens tends to be a detached energy because it, there's so much head energy and mental thinking. Um, so the journey really is moving toward the heart space, getting in your body more. And Marae, my goodness, as you've described your anxiety and fear, it's like this is why we know six is the most courageous type because they feel the fear. And you know what a journey to come home to yourself in a way that you're trusting you in the unfolding, in a world that's so unpredictable and surprising. Yeah. And it's inspiring to me because, as you say, Sandra, sixes feel the fear and then move forward. Yes. Right? I mean, that's the beauty. It's like, I know the fear, and then I take a step forward. Wow. I mean, that's real Mm -hmm. courage. Yeah. And just so we're clear for the audience, the phobic and counterphobic, that's true for both. And it's the counterphobic energy that might push back against status quo or against authority more often than when Marae or other sixes feel more phobic. It's more follow the rules then. But each six will have both. Yeah. I was probably eight years old, and um, my mother was going down the street to grab milk or something at the grocery store, and it, you know, it was the first time that I'd kind of been home alone or for a brief period of time, but... Um, this was in the 90s back when you could do that (laughs) and um, and I didn't I now know that what had happened was my mother had um, of course we had an alarm at our house my mother's a six and so my mother had set the alarm and had accidentally left the motion sensor on so I'm running around the house and I was playing some game and I was wearing a cape I was pretending to be a superhero or something had a big purple cape on and um, the apparently I set off the motion sensor and the alarm was blaring but I didn't know that I had set off the motion sensor and so I I assumed someone was in the house so I knew that someone was in the house and they were gonna come get me of course it's bright daylight right someone's in the house they're gonna come get me Um, and 
I thought, okay, aren't I supposed to hide in a closet or something? And then I'm thinking, um, I don't think so. I'm not going to hide in a closet. So eight-year-old me is rummaging through my dad's stuff to find this baseball bat. And I'm in a cape, kind of wandering around the house with a baseball bat, <laughs> looking for Ooh. for the intruder. And I'm going to get him. Um, and then um, they called. The alarm company called, asked for the password. I didn't know it. And um, the police showed up. Well, now the police, they're supposed to be the authority, you know, the safe person or whatever. The police are knocking on the door and asking to come in, and I won't let them in the house. I mean, there's <laughs> no way. Are you kidding me? Right. Um, and finally, our next-door neighbors who heard this blaring alarm, who were friends of ours and folks that I knew, um, came over and dealt with the police, and I let them in the house. <laughs> great. But, um, that is great. Not going to trust anyone in your house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and least of all, the police. Mm. Not that I you know, that there's a problem with police in general, mm-hmm. but when, you know, in that moment of sort of being afraid and going at the the fear, I'm not hiding in a closet. I'm mm-hmm. out there with a baseball bat ready mm-hmm. to, you know, pummel what I envision as a full-grown man <laughs> in my house, you know? It's um, incredible. And then the authorities show up and I say, no, I don't, I don't trust you. I, um, I have often, you know, throughout my sort of Christian education growing up, um, people, you know, would talk about Jesus returning and that and that kind of stuff. And I've always thought, you know, I mean, if if the sky opened up today and Jesus came down, you know, and looked, he kind of looked like the real thing or something, and he'd say, Murray, this is what I think you should do. You know, God, just tell me what to do. You know, I'll do whatever this way or that way. I just give me some certainty. Tell me what to do. And Jesus would come down and say, Okay, you should take fork A in the road, not fork. Fork B. Right. I imagine I would say something like, "Okay, can I speak to your supervisor? <laughs> like, are, are you? Why should I trust you? Well, yeah, and are you the real authority? I'm not. Right. I'm not sure, and I'm looking for the answer and sort of to be, to be companioned. But mm-hmm. no one's a fitting companion, right? I'm so worried that I'm alone, mm-hmm. and it turns out that the only fitting companion is me. Mm-hmm. So when you go and you ask folks, well, what would you do if uh, I'm trying to make a decision, A or B or C, and people say, oh, definitely B. My experience of sixes has been, well, they do A or C. I mean, if I, if I say B, you might do A or C. Yeah. What, so what's that about? There is this incredible contrarian thinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I am, you know... People sometimes complain that folks will say, well, do you like me in this dress or that dress? And you'll say the first one, and I'll say, great, I'll wear the second one. Um, yeah. Something something like that. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I can't say quite what it is, but I find myself to be quite the contrarian, sort of the, de- the devil's advocate, as soon as you say something to me and you seem certain mm. um, and try to give me what I see as sort of false certainty. Um, I say, n- no, it's not certain. It's uncertain. And so mm. it is difficult for me to sort of accept, um, unless I think you're the absolute authority on something and I, and I trust you and think that, you know, that you have good intentions. It's difficult for me to accept claims of certainty right. from folks. And I am immediately, um, the devil's advocate, not even in a, in a way where I mean to be challenging, but that's just the reflex that my brain does. I don't even realize it's happening before mm-hmm. it's happened. Mm-hmm. 
you talked a little bit ago. It's, it stayed with me, so I, I want to offer it back. Um, the, the part of what you do to try to mitigate loss, right, is this yeah. securing things or trying to come to some certainty or certainty. Um, how does working to mitigate loss bring about loss? Does that does that sound familiar to you? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. it does. Um, I think we we talked about one example a while ago where you know, fear of losing a relationship will cause me to end it, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and I will sort of a self fulfilling prophecy. I'll make sure the bad thing happens just so I know I've been preparing for it and I and I need it to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I I think too I can be um, sometimes paralyzed by indecision, and I am. Um, wanting the decision I make to be safe, the world sometimes feels um, less so now than it, than it did when I was younger and before I started doing some of this work. But the world has felt sort of like a minefield of of wrong decisions, mm. um, of uns of you know unsafe things. And there's one sort of safe path, mm. and you have to find it. And so I'm trying to plan ahead. I'm trying to look ahead, you know, uh, on the path to see which stones are safe to step on, and. And then I can't step. I feel very, very paralyzed because I don't know for sure right. whether I'm going to get blown up, you know, on the right. fourth step. And so right. I don't take the first step. Right. Right. Um, mm. And I think my my doing that um, and sort of dragging my feet um, in relationships in that way can cause a lot of loss because people think I'm not engaged or moving forward or um, or whatever it is. Ray, thank you. That that was such a beautiful sharing, and it was from the heart. And you've done so much uh, work internally. Thank you for sharing and being with us today. Thank you all for having me. Thank it's been you lovely. so much. It's been wonderful. Yeah. And so we, we want to leave our audience with uh, what we're calling questions for the deeper dive. And for type six, for those of you who lead with type six, you may consider these questions. When are you courageous? How are you different from your doubting? And when has the need for certainty been a barrier to healthy relationships? And as Marie's been talking about, how, how do you uh, substitute certainty for trust? What tells you you're doing that? And then lastly, when have you replaced authentic loving with your need for security? So questions for your consideration. And so, with heartfelt gratitude, I'm Chris. And I'm Sandra. And we invite you to continue to look courageously and lovingly at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University School of Divinity, for their financial and institutional support. For Sally Ann Morris, who composed our theme music, and for Toby Becker, who provided graphic design. Thanks to Eric Merle for his editing expertise, to Tom and Lynn Berner who provided recording space, and to the narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders, and special thanks to all of our guests. We offer this podcast as a free resource for personal and spiritual growth, and in order to continue this work, we need your support. Please visit our website, heartoftheenneagram.com, to make a contribution and to purchase our companion book. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.